The following commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3241 or you can email radio at bnntv.org. WBCA Radio is proud to present City Talk, where fascinating conversation is alive and well. With your host, Boston Radio veteran, Ken Meyer. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another edition of City Talk. I always enjoy having the gentleman on that is going to be with us today. He uh, shoots straight from the hip, as they say, and has been a friend of long time standing as well. And I'm referring, of course, to the former chairman of the Republican Party and political observer in Boston, Massachusetts, none other than Gene Hardigan. Gene, how you doing? Well, Kenny, it's always great, but let me correct you. I was the executive director. They never would have let me be chairman. That would have been scary. So <laughs> executive director, but of course, the most important time in my life was hanging out with you at WEEI uh, when it was all news radio and you were hosting um, the, the old time classic radio shows which brought a lot of us together in the studio with you at night, including Donna Ram and uh, Roseanne Puelic, you and me. Uh, it was such a great time. It was such a great piece of radio uh, because it allowed us to do things freeform, just like we're doing here, which is why I love hanging out with you doing this. <laughs> it, was a, it was a great time. It was a, there was great camaraderie. And uh, plus the fact that the people that you mentioned were all good people. I knew Donna way back when we were both at WBZ and, uh, and Roseanne and I became instant friends uh, when, I, when I got there. And you two, of course, and Rod Fritz and Dave Shea and, and uh, Mike McLean and everybody. That was all a great group of people. And uh, I don't think it can ever be done again. Because of, because of just the people that were involved in the way the situation is in radio these days. Yeah, no, it's you can't recreate magic or perfect things. And um, I've been able to be in the right place, right time for for so many things like that. Um, especially my time in radio, whether it was crisscrossing the country covering politics and the 1988 campaign um, and the funny stories that that created. And there were so many of them, whether it was the time with Bob Oaks in Atlanta or being down at the Democratic convention in uh, Atlanta where um, um, former Senate President Bulger threw a reporter into the pool. That, yeah. that was just so much fun to watch and he relished it. Um, and um, watching a taxi cab in Atlanta ride over uh, a fire hydrant 
and then drive all the way up to the lights with it under its car. That was just amazing. <laughs> I figured out how that worked, but it, it, it did happen. So, um, no, it, it's it's always been fun. And, and, uh, and the best thing is you move on to new things um, that keep you young and keep you thinking young. Well, you're certainly doing that. Now, before we get into uh, your trip to China that's happening in September, one of the things that you mentioned to me very casually, and I would love to hear about, was when you were at Channel 56 and you got involved in a great promotion, a lookalike contest. And I would love to hear about that. Well, it was funny. That was a, <clears throat> that was a, a station that was owned at that time by Kaiser Broadcasting. And and um, they were doing the promotion of the best of Groucho uh, that they were bringing on in reruns because um, Channel Fifty Six at that time, you know, we didn't think a lot about cable. You you had to turn to your UHF channels back in the seventies, and um, uh, so they did this promotion, um, this Groucho lookalike contest. <clears throat> And they weren't sure how it was going to go. They had done it in other markets, but on the day of the of the event, we had judges. Um, we had um, um, one of the owners of uh, Jordan's Furniture was there. We had uh, Charles Lockwadera was a judge. Um, uh, a gentleman named Shore, and his first name escapes me for the moment who was at uh, one of the local stations. Um, and um, uh, it, it was, we had five judges and, oh, Norm Nathan, I think was one of the judges too. Uh, and so it, it was hysterical because 300 different acts showed up to participate. 300 acts and they were in costume some of them had elements of the movies. One guy was carrying part of a boat um, with the mast and part of the of the base of the of the boat to do a skit from one of the movies. Um, there were there were Harpos, there were Chicos, there were Grouchos, um, and uh, this went on all day, all day. And they each got up and did this skit. We had a full audience of people. And um, Brad, I'm trying to think of Brad's last name now that you ask, but he was a student at Franklin Pierce College up in New Hampshire. And he looked, he was a little heavy to be Groucho, but his voice was perfect. And so he won and he won uh, a gift certificate, a television, a couple other things that we gave away as prizes. And he now does a, um, a podcast out in Western Massachusetts, was on air at uh, 5.50 a.m. out there for a number of years. Um, and just, just a, a, a real great guy. I finally bumped into him again <clears throat> three years ago out in Longmeadow where my brother was living. And we got together and talked. And I shared with him some of the old memorabilia that I kept in my file that we had printed out uh, about the Groucho contest. And it turned out that um, 
the chairman of Kaiser Broadcasting, a gentleman named uh, Block, uh, sent me a letter, and it turned out to be the single most successful event, uh, promotional event in Kaiser history. Wow. And shortly, that says a lot for you, I'm sure. And shortly after that, I got fired. <laughs> <laughs> but that's no, broadcasting, right? So, yeah. uh, you know, they said, you know, we're heading in a different direction. That's the phrase they always use. We're heading in a different direction uh, yep. or a different direction, which meant uh, the door's over there. See you later. So, yep. Uh, I get, uh, listen, I got I got fired by a guy named Mike Wheeler. Oh, who was the general general manager over at EEI yeah. and who used to be a salesman yep. whom I knew at WBZ. Yeah. And it was yeah. the same thing. You're a great guy. You're a wonderful human being. Yeah. Everybody likes you. But this is the way we're but this is the way we're going. Yeah. And yeah. you know, it's, anybody who's ever worked in broadcasting knows that happens all the time. It's it's no shock. Uh, I remember Rod Fritz telling me a story when he was in Harrisburg. And as you know, Fritz, he worked all over the country, worked for Fox, worked for, um, oh God, Bloomberg, uh, Wall Street Journal Radio. Um, and of course at CBS and WBZ was news director, a number of stations in Boston, including WRKO and Magic. And he was at a station out in uh, Harrisburg, PA. And he, brought their ratings up in morning drive fantastically. And then he was talking about making some additions to the morning programming. <clears throat> and that's when they told them, we're heading in a different direction. <laughs> so, so said, oh, really? I just brought your numbers up. At, but, but he knew, you know, that's just the nature of the game. So, um, but, you know, um, the Grouch Lookalike Contest, was a lot of fun, um, you know, it, it, and I saved all the reels of the event. I have them all. So um, someday I'll convert them and watch them again. Oh boy, I'd love to, I'd love to see those. Now you mentioned the, the 1988 convention. Yeah. Is that the one where, where Mike Dukakis was, was running for president? Yeah, 1988 against George Bush. And the big difference, <clears throat> it was funny when we were at, when Michael came out on the stage, <clears throat> they played, um, um, the, uh, what's one, I'm trying to think of the theme. I'll think of the theme, but, but it was a big to-do. And right after that, George Bush, uh, George H.W. Bush announced that, um, he was choosing a little known senator from, from Indiana um, and who couldn't spell the word potato. Uh, <laughs> but, but once that happened, the election from Texas to Virginia locked in behind George Bush because uh, that little known senator was an ev evangelical and um he brought all the evangelical vote with him into that election. Um, and of course, there are a couple of things that happened to the former governor of Massachusetts that kind of got in the way as as it always does <clears throat> politically. But uh, yeah, it was a fascinating thing being out on the road. Um, 
I can remember being out in uh, in Des Moines, and of course, Pat Robertson was one of the people running for president that year, um, and uh, always the holier than thou gentleman. Um, and one of the things that happened was that um, at night, all of us reporters would sit around and talk with the Secret Service and get to know them and buy them drinks. And um, they said that uh, the organization working for Pat Robinson had more bed jumpers than anybody they had ever seen. And that what <laughs> I mean by that is that um, the males and females were bouncing in and out of each other's rooms. And uh, I don't think they were watching TV together. <laughs> so it was, it's always fascinating what you learn on the campaign trail. And I remember interviewing Jesse Jackson that year uh, up in New Hampshire at the New Hampshire Rotary. And he was in a Howard Johnson's up there doing some appearances. And nobody got threatened more than Jesse Jackson. Um, he had more secret service. And <clears throat> the interview I did that year, I interviewed, by the way, all the candidates on both the Republican and Democratic side and still have the, the audio tapes from them. But Jesse was sitting on the edge of a bed. There were two beds in the room. And with all the Secret Service and all the handlers, it looked like Filene's basement when you were looking for a wedding dress. It was <laughs> hysterical. So, <laughs> so there was Jesse and they sat me down on the other edge of the bed. And then all of a sudden, Jesse just turned around and looked me in the eye and he said, okay, let's go. Uh, I, it was just a bizarre interview, uh, but we did the interview and then I left and they always protected him because of all the threats he received. Um, I, I, it, it was it was just so funny to be out there with all these different people talking to them. Uh, and George Bush, the father, when I interviewed him up in New Hampshire, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> he asked me if I had any children. I said, yes, I have a, a young daughter um, and uh, in fact, two daughters. And um, and he said, I said, Mavic, one of them, their birthday's coming up. And he said, well, uh, you know what? I got what's her name? And I said, Amy. And he said, well, here. And he took off his vice presidential pin off his lapel. And he gave it to me to give to her. And then oh, wow. he said, you know what? We got to have something for her dad. So he took off his tie clip, which has the, the vice presidential seal on it and gave it to me. <laughs> and I still have those today, both of them. So. You know, a couple of things I, I forgot to mention, Kenny, but uh, that guy who couldn't sell uh, spell potato, I can't say it, um, <laughs> was Dan Quayle. Who oh, God. Made a big difference and helped deliver that election for George Bush. And when when I was talking about Michael Dukakis coming on stage, they were playing They're Coming to America by Neil Diamond. And Oh, yeah. And yep. everyone was really excited, but... You know, it just didn't pan out. Um, but uh, another uh, story from the road, which was uh, funny and not so funny, is um, we had gone out the night before to a steak place in Des Moines, um, and the wind chill was like minus 60. I mean, it was ridiculously cold. 
But anyway, we went to this restaurant and you get to pick your own steaks. Well, evidently I picked a steak that I shouldn't have. And so um, it didn't agree with me. And the next morning I was um, over at the studio in the Civic Center where we were broadcasting from with other CBS channels. And um, I had this need to run into the bathroom to, and, and I was coughing up blood. So uh, I said, well, this is not good. Um, so I came out and we were supposed to go live um, at 6 a.m. out there, it was an hour behind. So I'm laying on the floor of the Civic Center and uh, Harry Smith, who used to be on uh, CBS television in the morning, he looks down from the catwalk and he says, uh, are you gonna live? And I said, <laughs> at least long enough to do my report. <laughs> so folks tapped me on the shoulder. I stood up, we did our live shot. And then after that, uh, I went over to the hospital where they checked me in and threw a warm blanket over me and said, you just damaged your esophageal lining. So we don't want you on the air for another 24 hours. Oh so, my goodness. So Oaks had to do it himself. I went back to the hotel and sat in the hot tub. Now, I'm old enough, fortunately or unfortunately, to remember the days when the conventions would start and they would be on all day long. Yep. Both radio and television. Yeah. Now they're only on at night. Right. Uh, does that mean political interest is waning in this country? Well, I think <clears throat> I think there's so much else in people's lives that that take up their time, um, and and so much so that it's a foregone conclusion on what the result is going to be because the the last real floor fight. I'm trying to remember it was um, maybe 1968, maybe before then. And so since then, we really haven't had a battle <clears throat> to get the number of votes you needed on the floor to become the nominee. So I think people, unless you're a diehard Politico, it, it doesn't matter anymore. Um, and I know when we were doing that year uh, <laughs> in New Orleans, um, it was kind of funny. Uh, we had um, <clears throat> Bob Oaks was down on the floor, another one of our former colleagues, and Andrea Carnero, also a colleague. She and I were up in the booth, and we'd throw it down to Bob on the floor, and he'd try to fill time talking to different people. <clears throat> and then we'd go to a break, and he would tell us on the headset, don't throw it down to me anymore. I have no one else I can talk to. <laughs> Nothing here of value. And, you know, it's 1230 at night. And so Andrea and I would look at each other. We'd come out of the break and I'd say, you know, we're going to go down the floor one more time to Bob Oaks. <laughs> was going on. And of course, he was furious that he had to do this again. Um, but we were having some fun. So, um, uh, yeah, they, I just don't think I don't think people get all excited anymore it's it's so much inside baseball uh, it's fun if you're in the convention hall and you're there to watch the final speeches 
But most of the speeches during the day are just for consumption back in that particular person's home state. So there's no real contest going on. Who knows, maybe this year, if uh, what I think is going to happen, that, that Donald Trump is out of the uh, this, this whole race eventually and DeSantis is out, um, you could see some real battles on the floor uh, and may make this year's convention interesting. I don't know. It's it's kind of scary. I mean, I don't want Trump to get in either, obviously. But whenever you watch a newscast, there's always a bunch of people around Donald Trump and they're all going for him and, and supporting him to, to run in the uh, conventions. It's, it's kind of, I'm afraid, to be honest. Well, I think that as we start getting into the prosecution of some of these indictments, um, I, I think you're going to start to see people peel away. He has a core base of 20 to 25 percent, and they're going to stick with him because they think it's all lies and they don't want to know the truth. And so what's what's going to happen is that um, you have a lot of independent voters in a lot of states that can vote for either either ticket uh, and some states <clears throat> Democrats can cross over and vote in the Republican primary. I think you're going to see more of that this time around. Um, those uh, obviously the Democrats are not happy with President Biden. I, I don't think uh, they'll be happy to have uh, President Trump again. And I think you'll see some cross-voting going on. And if that's the case, those people will outweigh that, that 20 to 25% that'll support uh, Donald Trump, no matter what hella high water. So uh, I think it is gonna change things. And of course, one caveat to that, as you know, he's now been indicted in four states. And if you remember when you go in to do shopping at certain stores, he'll say a great price on a particular item, limit five to a customer or four to a customer. That's what the courts told Donald, limit of four indictments to a person. So uh, I don't think you'll see any more, but who knows? You still have the Michigan indictments coming up. So um, he could be under indictment in multiple states still. So uh, it, it's a crazy time. Now, do I dare ask you the question of who the Republican and Democratic candidates might be that would run against each other? Well, I I don't think Robert Kennedy is going to have a chance to be the nominee. I think he'll frustrate uh, Joe Biden. But um, on the Republican side, I think the people who are going to rise to the top. And a lot will depend on some of these early primaries. Um, if you look at the primary in South Carolina, you will have DeSantis, you will have Donald Trump, you will have Tim Scott, the Senator from South Carolina, and the former governor, Nikki Haley of South Carolina. That will tell us an awful lot early on about what's going on uh, within the party um, because you'll have two favorite sons and you'll have uh, the elephant in the room and DeSantis. So it's going to be interesting to watch where that goes. Um, 
I'm still interested in what's going to happen in Iowa. And uh, if if Trump does not score a big win, you're going to see his support start to wane, especially with marginal Republicans who have their doubts. No, I can remember at one point they were talking about, I mean, there was always something exciting about New Hampshire and election day and their being the first state to vote. They were going to try and change that at one point, as I recall. Well, the Democratic Party was trying to change it, not the Republicans. <laughs> so, so um, again, it's, it's, you know, perception is the rule. If, if people think someone's faltering, they will. Um, and I don't, I don't see any major players who can effectively prop up Donald Trump with what he's facing right now. I, I, I think he has some serious problems with the January 6th indictments. Um, and, you know, in Georgia, well, and going back to January 6th, the judge down in the District of Columbia is a no-nonsense woman who is not going to let his um, lawyers push this out and out past the election. So that one is going to happen in, in early 2024. As to the situation in Georgia, that is a state case. It is not a federal case. And um, that DA is determined um, to hang uh, former President Trump in any way she can. And I think, I think that one's going to happen in 2024, too. You're going to start to see people <clears throat> start to see people saying, wait a second, we, we have someone who is the front runner who is under indictment with over 90 counts across four states in the United States. And um, is that person going to be able to beat Joe Biden? And a lot of people are going to say, I don't think so. I think people are going to say, you know, he's just not capable of winning. And then there are others who will say, what kind of a president are we going to have who is under such a cloud of suspicion? Um, whether, and you know, we know that you're innocent until proven guilty, but but there's a lot of evidence, some of which we watched ourselves, some of which is being presented by uh, the Lieutenant Governor from Georgia, who was very vocal and testified before the grand jury um, that not only did they recount the vote, hand count the vote, but but they certified that vote with with due process the way it should be done. And the same thing, uh, you know, goes for people in the White House who testify, who said that the president, Donald Trump, sat there after many people really beseeched him to call some of these people and tell them, stop what you're doing. And he sat there and did nothing. And and that's very damning. And uh, how it's going to play out, I do not know. But I think he has some serious problems. And I, I think it's going to get in his way um, on the campaign trail. Ever have any experience or... or uh 
anything with a, either Mitch McConnell or Diane Feinstein, who both have suffered physical and mental problems lately? Well, I, um, as you know, I was a former Republican and now an independent, but um, I once contributed money to Diane Feinstein um, because I thought she was doing a decent job and I thought she would have made an excellent Senate, Senate leader, but they went to the Senator out of New York and I thought that was a big mistake by the Democrats. Um, <clears throat> I've never dealt with Mitch. I I did do a lot and dealt a lot with Bob Dole, uh, who was a great guy, a sweetheart, uh, much to the contrary of the bad reputation he had. Um, <clears throat> and uh, he was not a mean-spirited guy. He was a good leader. He's a strong leader. And he knew how to keep the pack in line. But, uh, but I, I had great fun with him. Uh, matter of fact, he was up recording a commercial at the Hampshire House, the site of Cheers. And um, we were up in Tom Kershaw's uh, uh, suite up on the sixth floor. And <clears throat> Tom, of course, is the owner of Cheers. And um, he had, <laughs> we were up in there shooting this commercial and Bob Dole was sitting on the edge of the bed and he leaned back and looked up and there was a mirror over the bed. <laughs> and he, he quipped a couple of things, which I won't repeat here, but but he was he really had a great sense of humor. Um, and um, was a great guy to be around. Um, I admired him greatly. He was a great warrior as well, fought for this country. Um, <clears throat> but uh, but Mitch, no, but I think Mitch, I think Mitch needs to um, step aside i i think uh he's been there a long time i think we need some fresh blood in that position um uh, I, I just think it's it's time for him to say goodbye uh the republican debates are coming up and uh people are saying that donald trump ain't going to show up you think they're right um I, I don't know. I'm not sure. If he doesn't show up, <clears throat> then he allows everyone else to have a clear shot. If he does show up, he can bully them all, which he does very well. So I, that's going to be interesting to see. I, I really don't know. I don't have an answer. That's a dice roll as far as I'm concerned. It's, it's a plus and a negative. If he shows up, they're going to pepper him. And can he defend himself? <clears throat> is he able to keep a civil tongue or, or do they get him so bad? Like for instance, does Chris Christie from New Jersey anger him so much that he loses his cool? <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know. Um, they're gonna be fun to watch though. Are you still excited about the conventions and, and everything like that with all that has been going on? I mean, do you sit back and say, oh, boy, you know, a debate or oh, boy, like weathermen do about a snowstorm? I, I, I'm excited to watch the first debate to see how it plays <laughs> out. Um, I'll be monitoring the race as I do every time there's one. Um, uh, and, you know, back when George Bush 
the second one, I projected that win and projected the correct number of House and Senate seats that year, much to the chagrin of the Democrat who was on the panel with me on radio over at the WGBH. But, um, it, you know, it's it, it this is a republic form of government. We all have the opportunity to go out, voice our opinion, vote for our candidates that we like and and follow that path. And I, I think it's very, very important. I think everyone uh, should be out there voting, uh, no matter what their belief is, no matter what party they support, no matter whether they're liberal or conservative, <clears throat> but they need to get out. That's what has always made this country so great. We're a strong Republic. And unfortunately, I, I just see our Republic right now falling prey to a lot of things that have hurt other countries along the way. Uh, and I think we have to change our course. Um, I, I like some of the things that, that Donald Trump espoused and did, but I don't like his style. I don't like his manner. I don't like his attitude. And, and I don't like what he's done. Um, so um, I hope we have a good candidate that runs. Um, I thought Joe Biden would be a better president. Uh, he's disappointed me. He's, he must have a money tree in the backyard because he's certainly giving enough away. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, it's a little over the top. Well, the trouble that he's the trouble that his son is having isn't exactly casting him in a very good light either. Well, he's been in politics 50 years. And so you make a few mistakes along the way, and I'm sure he has. Um, but that will play out in the courts. Um, I, I really don't know. Uh, I just don't know. Now, um, you told me about something that's happening with you in late September uh, involving China and your project. Uh, take as much time as you want and and. Tell us about that. Give us a behind-the-scenes look as to what's going to be happening in the life of Gene Hardigan. Well, it's um, I've been invited by the um, city of Shanghai to come over and be a keynote speaker at a forum on technology and U.S.-China trade. Uh, it's no secret that the relationship between the two countries uh, is is in a bad way. Um, we have always done very well here in Massachusetts, uh, bringing Costco shipping to the Port of Boston uh, for over 20 years, bringing Hainan Airlines here from Beijing and Shanghai until the pandemic hit, and then it changed everything for the short term, but, but that's gonna come back. And, um, and I did, uh, I worked with the ambassador in New York, Wang Ping, uh, to make sure that the Patriots plane got in and out of China uh, to pick up masks uh, to come back to Massachusetts. And so those were all good things. And now I'll be over there September 7th through the 16th um, to do a presentation talking about um, what I see in the future and also fostering a relationship to create not only um, US-China partnerships here in Massachusetts, at our site in Marlboro, but also to um, try to bring the U.S. and Chinese elements together to do <clears throat> projects in West Africa, where I run a charity and also work to develop 
business development between the U.S. and and uh, Africa. So there's a lot on the plate. Um, I'm honored to do it. Um, I've done 30 trips to China um, and keep a fairly steady hand on figuring out what's going on over there. So um, it'll be good to get updated. It's been over three years because of the pandemic since I've been there. Um, but uh, a lot of the people I know are still there and I'll be meeting with them. So uh, yeah, it'll be a great trip. You have an interpreter go with you? No, they they supply <clears throat> people on the ground to translate. Um, and I, my uh, my grasp of the language is minimal at best. And the the Chinese language is one of tones. There are four different tones for each word. Uh, and a good example is the word ma, M-A, uh, means four different things. Two of them is mother. And if you speak the right tone, one of the other tones is horse. So if you are making a mistake, <laughs> you can be calling someone's mother a horse and not realize. <laughs> so I try to stay away from that. And there are some other things in the Cantonese versus Mandarin. <clears throat> in Cantonese, certain terms for shellfish also have certain terms for body parts. So you really have to be careful to not try to impress them by screwing up. Tell me, tell me just out of curiosity, a typical day in the life of a Gene Hardigan. I mean, you're, you're not on the air, but yet you're involved uh, politically with uh, a lot of people in Boston. So what, what's, what is a day like for you? Well, I, I, I go to bed at 1 a.m. My wife and I both go to bed at 1 a.m. I get up around 6, 6.30 normally. Sometimes I sleep in a little bit. But I get up. I drink a pint of whiskey. No. Um, I, <laughs> you know, I get ready, get dressed, shower, etc. Um, have a bite to eat. And then um, I'm on, on the, uh, the computer checking my four different email sites, um, then talking to my guy on the ground in West Africa each day, um, um, dealing with people. One of the things we're doing is we have a, a delegation coming in from the Ivory Coast in December, a medical delegation from the 9th to the 15th of December. So we're in the process of setting that up. We just completed one in late July with another delegation from West Africa. And uh, we visited Mass General, uh, Brigham and Women's Hospital. We, we were at South Shore Hospital, uh, went to a, uh, a plant that makes uh, uh, injector molds for medicine. Uh, we did a whole series of things in technology and biotech. And, uh, and that went over a week and we'll do a similar type program in December um, but uh, there'll be emails. Yesterday, I sent a greeting welcoming the new U.S. ambassador to the Ivory Coast, Ambassador Davis. Um, um, you know, you, this, there's so many phone calls that you make. I, you know, I'm checking out the news behind me in my office on CNN or, um, or Fox or BBC. And um, and then Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I go to the pool at lunch, 
and swim laps. Um, and that's a good time. Um, occasionally I, I get in a round of golf and um, watch a little Red Sox uh, or, or some other sporting event and um, some of the old time shows because nothing that's new appeals to me, but um, you know, the old television shows like Magnum PI or Blue Bloods or, or Cheers or uh, um, uh, According to Jim. I mean, those are shows that had good writing. They were funny and uh, it breaks up the day, but <clears throat> there's, there's always something going on. And I have two daughters, so I'm involved in their lives as well. And Debbie and I have just finished 49 years of being married. So, oh, congratulations. Yeah. 49 years. 49 years, and I still don't look old. So, <laughs> no, are, are people in, in China and West Africa, are they interested in what's going on over here, or are they just as glad not to be involved in it oh, in any way, I, oh, shape, or no. form? No, they, they, both of them love Americans. <clears throat> the one reason we're doing so much medical outreach in West Africa is the need to up the standard of basic health care. And no, they love, they love when Americans come in, um, you know, in, in the Ivory Coast, for instance, it's a former French colony. And so they have some wounds that are still healing over the French. So they love the American input. It's a growing middle class. Uh, there's a growing need for medical care. It's become a tourist spot for Europeans. Um, so no, and in China, the Chinese people are wonderful. I'll tell you, uh, I, I'm not a big fan of their politics, um, but politics is just that. Whether you're in the U.S. or China, you're trying to hold on to your job and hold on to your power. But um, I think over time, you'll see changes happening again. Uh, China has some serious problems with their economy. They need to change that. And, um, you know, one of the things we're trying to do with this trip is to suggest some middle ground, uh, some compromised ground that no, none of the political leaders in China lose face, but in fact, have an opportunity to to extend a hand and and make things happen uh, that benefits both our society and theirs, um, both economically and medically. Uh, so uh, I I believe that the U.S. and Chinese will be competitive partners for a long time to come, and and I'm excited to be part of trying to make that happen and and enlarge that sphere of cooperation. So I, I, yeah, I, it's a great place. The food is marvelous. The people are marvelous. Um, it, it, it's just a great place to visit. I'm excited about going back. Um, and and uh, I, I don't think that there's any value in trying to beat down China. That's, they're, they're the second largest economy. They have a billion four people. Um, we need to be finding ways to energize their population to help them because driving them into ruin is not going to make for a better world. So uh, we have to be adult about this and pragmatic 
we have to think of our relationship and and how it helps us long term um, to do things that create connections between the two countries. Well, I'll tell you, it's always a delight to sit here and talk with you. And uh, I regard your friendship very highly and oh. uh, Deb, Deb as well and your two daughters. And uh, thanks again for coming on with us. I love it. Hey, well, you know, Kenny, you're the best. You're, uh, you're a consummate pro. Um, you've always have been. I've learned stuff from you. Um, you're a fair-minded guy who just wants to get information out. You're not out there trying to beat people down, and you're not trying to tell stories to create uh, conspiracy theories. And and that's what I really enjoy about you. Well, I appreciate that. I wish you all the luck in the world in China, and uh, bring me back a chopstick. I will, and we'll update you when I get back, my friend. All right, sir. Okay. You take care. Have a good weekend and my best to your family. Thank you, sir. Same here. And that will do it for another edition of City Talk. Thanks for listening to another great conversation with Ken Meyer and friends. You can contact Ken by email. The address is kjmeyer7 at gmail.com. That's kjmeyer7 at gmail.com. Tune in next time for more conversation with Ken Meyer on City Talk. The preceding commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to the Boston Neighborhood Network at 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Mass., 02119. Attention WBCALP 102.9 FM. If you would like to arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3241 or email us at radio at bnntv.org.